uh, both for their son Leo um, and also for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And so they're going to come up and share an update on, uh, on how yesterday went. Got some photos of the event. So guys, come on up. Good morning. So, that's three questions about our event yesterday. First, we wanted to tell you, we don't have an exact number yet, but we raised over $10,000 yesterday for Team Leo. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also did a raffle at the event, and all the money from that raffle went to Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy, which is a nonprofit organization that helps families with Duchenne and spearheads a lot of the research that's going on for Duchenne treatment. And we raised $500 in the raffle to send to Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy. Um, we had about 175 people, kids and adults attend yesterday, um, but many more donated. And then uh, the last question was uh, what the event meant to us. And so first I wanted to, us includes Leo. So, for Leo, uh, what it meant was a ton of Padre hats everywhere, which was totally unexpected and just great. Um, it meant um, all these people there that he loves, and he's like looking around like, I know all these people, I love all these people, this is great. Um, it was wagon rides, um, some awesome music, and it was just a great party. We told him, you know, this is about you, we love you, and all these people love you, and so that's what it meant to him. Um, for us, it really meant about, it was about strength and encouragement, and we, this last year we've really been praying for that from God, and uh, we saw that yesterday in our community. God has answered that prayer this whole year through um, the people around us and through the Holy Spirit, but yesterday was about um, our community and seeing that and experiencing that tangibly. Um, so that was really, really amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> It was overwhelming, to say the least, in a good way. So. Oh, yeah, and, and really, um, it was just this amazing event because everybody pitched in. Um, we had our whole community doing little things, and it added up to be this really incredible event, and it was a huge part because of, of you guys, of the people that were there for us. And uh, we know that that's going to be, like, the same thing in the future. Like, we're not going to be alone in this. Like, we have friends and family and God, so thank you. Thank you to all of you that participated, both in terms of registering and donating, walking, and then also those of you who helped out. Um, that was a wonderful party with amazing food. Um, so um, you'll see in your bulletin uh, that there is a white connection card. It's about this big. Um, and uh, if you're a guest with us today, a special welcome to you. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, we'd love for you to fill that card out with as much information as you're comfortable sharing with us. A little bit later in the service, we're going to receive an offering, and we'd love for you to drop that card in the offering basket as it goes by, and that can be your offering to us today. Um, also, if Harbor is your home, we'd love to pray for you, and so you can use that card to communicate anything you need to for, to us. If you need us to pray for you, if you want more information or want to be involved in something in the church, you can use that as a way to communicate with the staff as well. And then we also have something else that's special. We're going to be receiving new members today. 
And so um, if that is you, if you're going to be joining the church in membership today, please come on up at this point. Um, we're going to have you stand up here. We're going to recite your membership vows. And so, yeah, please come forward. <clears throat> uh, membership is really just a way to publicly say Harbor is my home church. Um, and so you're, you're agreeing to identify with Jesus publicly, but you're also identifying with his church. And so that's what these folks are doing. They've been through our Welcome to Harbor class. Um, they've been interviewed um, with, by one of our elders to uh, just express their own faith in Jesus, uh, to understand the membership vows is that, uh, that they're going to take. Hey, y'all. Um, y'all can make a little bit of a semicircle here. Um, and now they're ready to, uh, to officially join us as members. So the, uh, the membership vows are up, going to be up here on the screen. And I will ask y'all, I think they're up there. Yes, awesome. Okay, so the membership vows. Kathleen, Luke, Jemima, Shana, and Jessa, um, do you believe that you are made in the image of God, created to worship, serve, and enjoy him in all of life? Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except through his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and its work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church? And do you promise to strive for its purity and peace? Fantastic. To you, members of our congregation, do you receive these new members as brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you pledge to love them in whatever way God may call you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, these, uh, for this man and these women uh, who are standing here and publicly declaring not only their faith in you, but their commitment to your church. Father, I pray that as they commit to you in this new way, that you would show your commitment to them. Father, as they are added to the number of members in our church, we pray that our church would grow in strength, that it would grow in love, so that we would not only be able to love each other well, but we would love the city. And may the love that is expressed in their commitment, may that fill our streets, may it fill our communities, our homes, and our workplaces, so that you would be known and made famous here in San Diego. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To want to become a member of Harbor Church. Um, we're having a membership class next week, next Sunday from 12 until about 2.30. Um, you can sign up today. You can use a connection card if you want to sign up that way. You could also email Chad Gray. His email address is 
there and also in the bulletin. Uh, we need you to sign up so we can send you the materials that we'll get out um, early this week so that you can read what you need to read before the class. Uh, but that's a great class. It also goes over the vision and the values of our church. You find out more of the strategies of who we are and why we do what we do. And so make sure you sign up for that class uh, today. Let's go to the Lord now. Let's ask him to bring his blessing to us as a church and also to our city. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. We're so thankful and we celebrate all that you're doing in our church. And God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to understand better uh, the issues of homelessness. Oh, God, we thank you for Generate Hope and this amazing event that's coming up uh, for us to be able to see these women artistically express themselves and their stories. Father, we thank you so much for yesterday and the way that your glory and your grace was shining. Father, I thank you for the amazing picture that that event is to Leo, that he is growing up in an environment of love and support. Uh, and also for Ed and Katie, that as they uh, move forward in parenting Leo, they're not doing it alone. Thank you for the strength that you give us that we can share with each other. And Lord, we thank you for continuing to add to the membership of our church. We pray that as we are committed to you, that we be committed to your people. Lord, it's this kind of community, it's this kind of intentional family community uh, that does give us strength. You minister to us personally, and yet there are times, God, when we need the brothers and the sisters in this church to walk with us and to come near to us. And we know this is the kind of community that transforms not only us, but can transform our city. And so, Father, would you make it that the love that we have for each other would spill out into our homes, our workplaces, and our communities so that San Diego would be better loved, so that we'd be able to share what we've experienced here with others, and they'd be attracted and drawn to the acceptance and the grace and the love that comes from Jesus. And now as Bill comes up to preach your word to us, we pray that you would strengthen him and anoint him with your spirit so that he can powerfully preach your word so that we might follow you and become leaders worth following. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good, after, good morning. I've got my timer going. I'm only doing this to give you a false sense of security. <laughs> so Stephen has been walking us through um, the leaders that we should follow, the type of leadership that's worth following. And my one concern as we go through this is that you could hear that title and think that this applies to someone other than you, um, a leader like the president or like your pastor or somebody who is um, running his own corporation or her own business. Uh, so right before I pray, I want to read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul is basically telling the people in Corinth that they're all leaders. So th these series of messages are for you. You are the leaders about whom Paul is writing. So he says in uh, chapter 5, um, 
He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the leaders to whom uh, Stephen has been preaching are sitting in our chairs today. We are them. So let's pray. Father, we uh, just ask that you would teach us our role uh, in leadership, whether we are work only in the home or whether we work outside the home, whether we are 85 or 18 or even younger. Teach us this kind of leadership. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, we've been going through 2 Timothy uh, chapter 6. I mean, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Great. I'm going to get those Michael Jackson shoes and lean out one day. <laughs> but I don't have them yet. So if you'll follow along, uh, the verse that's the key of basis of my sermon is verse 6, but I'm going to read 1 through 7, just to put it in context. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, how many of you grew up on a farm? Just as I suspected, I see one hand. I grew up in a large farm called Chicago. Everywhere I looked was farming community in the form of L's and subways, cars, and buses. So we can look at a verse like this that talks about farmers and perhaps tune out because it's not relevant to our experience. But he is teaching us principles that regardless of whether you grew up on a farm like I did in Chicago or farm someplace else, the principles apply to us today. Uh, one thing I know about life on the farm from watching television, that uh, life on the farm is a lot of hard work. For me, growing up in Chicago, it meant getting up at sunrise to milk the cows, then feed the pigs, then off to harvest in the fields. So there are two very exasperating things about farming that I know. First, you have to work hard. And second, there is no guarantee that storm, drought, or bugs won't destroy the crop you've been busy working on for the previous two, three, or four months. 
So this is one of those verses that doesn't seem to relate to our actual life experience because honestly, I guess you know, I never grew up on a farm. Um, and the verse seems rather innocuous at first, but the more you think about it, the more irritating it gets. The Bible is full of irritating statements like that. They seem rather easy at first, but the more you think about them, the more uncomfortable you become. So let me start with my first point uh, on the outline. They're not on the slides? Okay. So let me tell you my first point. A good leader, it's in your bulletin though, a good leader teaches or shows you how to place great value on things that matter rather than things that don't matter or matter much less. Let me repeat that. A good leader teaches or shows you how to place great value on things that matter rather than things that don't matter or which matter much less. Now, whenever I say leader, I want you to insert your name. Don't attach it to uh, Stephen Cooper or to Barack Obama. Use your name in that place. So a good leader will teach us or show us at least three things. First, we play before an audience of one, and that is Jesus Christ. One of the things I appreciate about Dick Kaufman and Stephen Cooper is this emphasis on the centrality of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Of course, there are a lot of audiences around us, our workmates, our family, our friends, our neighbors. But we truly play before an audience of one, and that is God himself. He is the audience whose approval we must have, whose pleasure we must seek, because he is the audience that gives us everything upon which we rely. So the first thing a leader will teach you is that we play before an audience of one. The second thing he'll teach or show is that he reminds us of what is important. And the third thing is a good leader teaches us to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in work that God values. A good leader teaches us to invest our time, talent, and treasure in work that God values. There is great reward in following Jesus. And conversely, there is great loss in not following Jesus. These rewards are both temporal and eternal. I have a friend named Lee Yi who was at one time an investment counselor in Hong Kong after it changed ownership from uh, Great Britain to mainland China. And he went there on purpose in ministry so that he could be there sharing the gospel in the workplace when ownership changed hands. One of his clients was a very, very wealthy Taiwanese. And Lee had made a great deal of money for him in an investment. And for a reward, the man told Lee, I am going to take you on a trip for one week to the best brothels in Asia. 
Yes, I know you're looking at me like I didn't say that. Yes, this was his reward. And, and Lee said, well, I can't go. And the man said, why? And Lee said, I can't afford it. And the man said, I told you I'm paying for everything. And Lee said, you don't understand. I can't afford it. I am trying to live my life to please God. It is always in our interest to obey Jesus. It is never in our interest to disobey. Now, uh, Michael Jordan is famous as a basketball player. And one of the things he did was show his teammates what it took to win a championship. And they used to always wonder when they came into a town, he would go off by himself. And they, find it, they tried to follow him, where is he going? He was going to a gym to work out. He worked out all the time. And eventually they had a club of people who were serious about working out to get their bodies ready for a game. He taught them what it took to build up their stamina and strength, consistent practice to build up their skills, practicing free throws with various distractions so that they could make free throws when crunch time came in the games. He showed them how to invest their time and talent to achieve a goal that they all wanted. I am reminded of the story of two farmers. One was a devout believer and one was an atheist, but they were both farmers. And the atheist made a bet uh, with the Christian farmer. He said, we plant pretty much the same things. I tell you what, you pray to your God every day for your harvest. And every day, I'm going to curse God. And we'll see who has the better harvest in September. And that's exactly what happened. And at the end of the harvest season, the guy who cursed God actually had a better harvest. And he went to the Christian farmer gloating about his results. And he asked the Christian farmer, what is your answer to that? And his response was, my God does not collect all his debts in September. <laughs> there is another story, and this is, the other one, the first one was true. This is just an illustration that I'm about to share with you now. Two uh, women die, they're both believers, and they both go to heaven. Uh, one has been very wealthy, has lived a good life on earth, has been a good Christian. And the other was that woman's maid. And so they go to heaven and the wealthy woman is really pleased with the house she has in heaven. It's got a cute little garden, it's really nice. And she meets her maid and the maid says, I want to invite you over to my house for lunch. That's great. And so she goes over to her maid's house and it is a mansion with swimming pools and tummies. It's huge. And the rich woman is so upset about this that after the meal she goes to find God and she complains about her cottage. It's nice. But it's not like the maid's house. 
And, the, and God replied to us, listen, don't get upset. I can only build with the materials you send ahead of you. We are supposed to invest our time and talent in the things that God values. And a good leader, that is you, teach others in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, how to invest their time, their talent, their treasure in the things that God values. A good leader, as a next point, not only teaches you that, but teaches you to work for eternal profit over worldly profit. Teaches you to work for eternal profit over worldly profit. Now let me give you an example of worldly profit. Bernie Madoff, billionaire, all acquired through fraud. Let me read from a newspaper article about him, very brief. Prosecutors estimated the size of the fraud to be $64.8 billion based on the amount of the accounts of Madoff's 4,800 clients as of November 30, 2008. Here are the, some of the consequences of his farming, so to say. His son, Mark, committed suicide. Rene Magon de la Vuche, 65, co-founder of one of uh, the great investment advisor companies in the world based in France and New York, committed suicide in New York because his company lost over a billion dollars with Bernie Madoff. William Foxton, on uh, February 10, 2009, a highly decorated British soldier at the age of 65, shot himself in a park in Southampton, England, having lost all of his family savings, which he had invested in Madoff's enterprises. So this is um, worldly profit that Bernie Madoff sought. Our worldly profits can never be insured. They can never be guaranteed. They're always subject to the sin of others and to our own sin, and just to circumstances. Now contrast that to what Jesus teaches. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So not only does he promise temporal profit, but he promises eternal profit. Now we know at least three things that matter greatly to God because if I raise the issue that we need to invest our time, our talent, our money in the things that God values. And we naturally have want to know, well, what matters to God? What does he value? And three things we clearly know about because the scripture tells us. Number one, we know that Jesus matters to him above everything else. He is God's only begotten son. 
So we know that an ever deeper relationship with Jesus Christ is profitable beyond measure. It will yield profits now and in eternity. Let me say something that's a bit unconventional perhaps. God is not impressed with Bill McCurin. Bill McCurin sometimes is impressed with Bill McCurin. But God is not impressed with Bill McCurin. Um, but he is impressed with anyone who is impressed with his son. Be very clear, to be impressed with Jesus means that we recognize that Jesus died for our sins and deserves our love and obedience. So the very first thing that God mattered, that he values and that matters to him is his son. If you want to do something that will increase, that will add value to your life in the eyes of God, know Jesus and know him in an ever deeper way as you walk through life. The second thing, we know that people matter to God. Not just some kind of people, not the people that you and I are most comfortable with, not the people who belong to our church or to our racial group or to our socioeconomic class, People matter to God. And how do we know? Because among other things it says in John 3.16, which I call the football stadium verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So investing ourselves in other people will yield great rewards now and in eternity. The third thing that God values, God loves his word, and that is the Bible. Therefore, his written word matters. Psalm 138 verse two says this, for you, have exalted above all things your name and your word. God has placed more value on his name and his word than any other thing on earth. His name and his word. Now, when I gave the example of the people who had invested in Bernie Madoff with great intentions, with horrible results. The question naturally should arise to us. If I invest my time, treasure, and talent in God, if I farm what he tells me to farm, if I work for the harvest he tells me to yield, if I do that, will it pay off? Is there any profit in it to me? This is a good, an honest question. Abraham asked it of God. In effect, he says, what's in it for me? And God did not say, what a terrible question for you to ask. I am God. Instead, he said, I'm going to give this whole land to you. I'm going to give you answer. I'm going to give you offspring that will last for eternity. When we were in the CBR reading this, this week, 
I believe it was Monday, Monday's reading, David purposed in, in, um, in the Chronicles to build God a temple. And God sent his prophet to David saying, you will not build me a temple. I will build you a house. And your house is going to last forever. I'm going to set your son on the throne and your, that throne will last forever. When we did, David was absolutely blown away by what God had said to him. His idea was, I am going to do something for you. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something for you. And it was far beyond anything that, that David could even have considered. Um, so, our, now here's my next point. Our labors, our work matter because Jesus has succeeded for us, was resurrected for us, and has succeeded in every area where we fail. So it is natural to ask, what's in it for me, and why should I put my time and effort into it? when in all likelihood it's going to fail. Why? Well, I don't have enough education, or I'm homeless, or I've just been released from prison, or I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough contacts, or I work in the home and not outside the home, or I'm just one more person in the workplace, or whatever, just fill in the blank. There are reasons which cause us to think that what we do doesn't matter. Let me give you a couple of uh, encouragements. Um, first, because Jesus lived a perfect life in our place, because he bore all our sins on the cross, because he, he always sought and did the Father's will, we can labor and be guaranteed a good crop. Nothing we do for Christ will be lost. Now, we learn in 1 Corinthians that sometimes the labors we do are not for Christ. They are out of selfishness or meanness or pride, and when those go through the fire, those things will be burned up. But we will survive, though we will have the smell of smoke on our person, Paul tells us. But when we look at some of the examples in the Bible, like the widow who put in a mite, which is a part of a penny, into the offering, Jesus said, we're going to remember this for all time. When, when the, the 4,000 people were confronted with him, and those were the men, that's not counting the women and children, and he asked his disciples, how are we going to feed them? And he said, we don't know. We only have three fish and five loaves of bread. And he took and blessed the fish and the bread, and not only fed all of the people there, but there was stuff left over. The encouragement for us is that no matter how humble our beginnings, no matter how from a worldly standpoint we fail, or what we do seems small and insignificant, it's only a little bit of a step forward, God will take 
every single effort and bless it beyond our wildest expectations because he is the sovereign Lord who can take our humblest efforts and do great and mighty things. Perhaps you heard the story of a, a little boy who's, uh, there's been a storm. He's walking on the seashore and all these starfish have been thrown up onto the sand because of the storm and the tide has receded and they can't get back. They're going to dry out and die. And the, the shore is just filled with them. And so he's picking up the starfish and he's throwing them one at a time back into the ocean. And this old geezer probably looks a lot like me. He's <laughs> standing there and he's watching this boy and he's thinking, what a stupid thing to do. And he, and he walked up to the young boy and he asked him, he said, look, look at all the starfish on the shore. Why are you wasting your time? It's not gonna matter. And the little boy looked at him, bent down, picked up a starfish and threw it in the ocean, said it mattered to him. So you and I are probably not going to be called on to do some great sacrificial act. It is unlikely that I'm going to be called upon to throw my body between Dana and a bullet. It is unlikely that I'm going to find the cure uh, for cancer. It is unlikely that I'm going to rescue somebody from a burning building. Those things could happen, but it's highly unlikely. So what does that look like for you and I in everyday life. How can we be good farmers when we've got a patch, a really dry, barely arable soil? We deal with what we have and we labor. And it may only produce one tomato. And God says, look. Wow, look at the tomato she grew. Look at that. And the other guy outside of Christ has thousands of acres of tomatoes and God utterly dismisses them. They don't matter in his divine economy. They are not done in Christ and for his glory. But Jamie and Shane have collaborated and they got this one precious tomato and God is just thrilled with what they have done. So what does it look like for you and I to be good farmers? Um, well, first, a good farmer has good works. A good farmer has good works. Now let me put good works into perspective. God's grace is not based on our works. But God's grace motivates our work. Our efforts are the fruit of God's grace. In terms of eternity, good works are important as an expression or outgrowth of our faith in Jesus Christ. They don't say anything about us. Say everything about a savior who deserves our time and effort. 
in terms of from an eternal perspective, good works do not save us. Hell is full of doers of good works. Good works in and of themselves do not impress God. Good works done through the power and the indwelling of his son, those impress God. Um, Jesus' righteousness impresses God. Our righteousness doesn't impress God. Let me read to you a quote from uh, Mayor Bloomberg. I just pulled it out. You may have encountered this quote. It was only a month ago. It was in an interview in the New York Times magazine, New York Times paper, and it's the former New York mayor, Michael Bloomberg, in which he predicted that his crusades against guns, smoking, and obesity would serve him well in the afterlife. Now let me read his, what he said. Quote, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. If that is anything like your thinking, you are in a world of trouble. Because that will not impress God one whit. Michael Bloomberg is not going to go up to the heavenly gates and he's not going to walk right in. Someone once asked me, so Bill, when you get to heaven, if you, you stand before God and he asks you, what, why should you get in? What have you done to get in? I said, well, I'm going to tell him I haven't done anything to get in. I'm not relying on any of my works. I am a sinner covered only by the grace of your son. I am relying on his finished work absolutely. And he may say, well, but you served as an elder in your church. Yes, but I'm not, I'm not relying on that. Well, you love your wife. I, I know, but I'm not relying on that. I am relying on what Jesus has done for me. Now, it is possible that as a good farmer, what you are thinking of is that your own efforts will justify your crop. Your crop should turn your attention to Jesus Christ. A good leader is always going to tell you to turn your attention to the one who created the harvest and the crop, the rain and the sun, and not to his own efforts. Let me read from a Puritan pastor from 1615. And some of these Puritan pastors were just marvelous theologians. This is Richard Baxter. He wrote this in around 1650. The first and great work of a Christian is about his heart. There, is, there it is that God dwells by his spirit in his saints. And there it is that sin and Satan reign in the ungodly. The great duties and the great sins are those of the heart. There is the root of good and evil, 
The tongue and life are but the fruits and expressions of that which dwells within. So we must farm the field that God has given us. We know that those fields include family, workplace, neighborhood, and what I call divine appointments, where you bump into somebody and you begin having a conversation, um, and you, here is an unexpected opportunity to, to minister to someone for the sake of Christ and in his name. And, and it's maybe just listening. I remember the story of a, a little boy who had just come in to the home and the mother asked where you've been. And she said, I've been at Mr. Johnson's house. And the mother was alarmed because Mr. Johnson was a widower. His wife had just died and she's worried that her son is over there pestering uh, Mr. Johnson who is grieving the loss of his wife. And she said, what did you do? And he said, I climbed in his lap and helped him cry. We must not, don't wait to act until you and I are confronted with this huge, overwhelming challenge, like rushing into a burning building. Most of us will never be called upon for such a stupendous act. Most of us will be called upon to live for Christ every day in little ways. My wife likes decorative pillows on the bed. What is it with women and decorative pillows on the bed? And I told her, I said, we got too many pillows on the bed. We need to cut it down. And I put my foot down and we dropped it. And now we only have 17. Uh, but she would say, you know, why, why don't you make up the bed sometime? And let me tell you, I'm embarrassed to say this. In my flesh, I'm thinking, why should I make the bed? I'm the one who's going out to work. I've got all these arguments about why I shouldn't be the one making the bed. And then these thoughts about, Bill, whatever you are doing, you are laboring for Christ and for his glory. Even, you mean making the bed? Making the bed. So let me tell you, I didn't want to make the bed. So I had to pray, God caused me to want to make the bed. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. And let me tell you, I enjoy making the bed, even with the 1,700 pillows on it. <laughs> the, the, the point is, it is not a huge act. It is a relatively insignificant act. But you do it as part of the labor for Christ. You do it as a leader in your home or in your workplace or in your neighborhood. So what it, might it look like? Well, for fathers, you want to be a good farmer so that you are going to reap what you sow and you're going to enjoy reaping what you're sowing. Because please, you and I every day are sowing. Some of us are reaping today the things we sowed five years earlier. We are sowing today things we will reap five years hence. Be very mindful as good farmers of what we are sowing. Fathers, 
Encourage your children. Don't exasperate them with constant criticism. Children, honor your parents. Um, by that I mean do things like, if you're older, telephone them, call them up, share your life with them. Listen to the advice. I'm not saying follow it, just listen to it. Um, forgive the people who wrong you. Uh, be quick to apologize when you have offended someone. Give other people credit. Work at a shelter once a week or once a month. I, I met a young woman who decided that she would go to Africa and work for a month as an expression of her faith. Support a missionary with steadfast prayer and faithful financial support. The point is that you and I, as farmer leaders, have a field that God has given each of us. We are each daily sowing. We will each daily reap. And God has promised that we can be good leaders if we value the things that matter to God, his son, others, and his word. If we labor not for our glory, but to increase the name and fame of Jesus Christ. If we look not to our righteousness, but to the righteousness of our King Jesus who died on the cross for us. If we are that kind of leaders at home and in the workplace, we will be able to identify those kinds of leaders as we go out into the world. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to teach us to be good farmers. You have given each of us sovereignly a unique field of influence. Some of us have jobs with authority over hundreds, and some of us work alone. Some of us are single, and some are married with children. Some of us have a lot of money to give away easily, and some of us, everything we give is a financial sacrifice. But whether we are single or married, whether we are alone or have a workforce, whether we have a lot of money or little money, cause us to labor as good farmers in your vineyard. You have told us that the harvest is plentiful. Pray for workers, let us be the very workers for whom we pray, that we would sow joyfully, that we may be able to reap joyfully. Give us a heart to value the things that matter to you. In Jesus' name, amen.